Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. I'm your coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and I'm here to share all my ups, downs, and all-arounds of being a mom to my gorgeous Adia, owning a fitness business called Define London, and truly managing being a unsingle single mom as we cheer on my husband and his amazing business in Uganda. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Is this a mic check? You heard that right. Uganda, and he is not doing the daily commute. So each week, I will be joined by a fellow inspiring, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We all need to take a deep breath together. We try, we navigate, and not be too hard on ourselves. I get it. I am human, and failures simply happen. I am not shiny, and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am, at its best and worst, busy mumsy. Hi friends, Ash here. Oh, wow. I've been thinking a lot, reflecting, I guess I'm having a little bit more like freedom thoughts, if you will, um, when Adia is off at, um, you know, daycare and that kind of stuff. So um, I was thinking a lot about the whys, like why we choose certain things, why we do certain things. It, it instantly makes me think about Define London and, um and teaching clients. Um, so with like the, the teachers that work for me, um, uh, they're all trained to teach why, why you do a push up, why it's going to empower you and make you feel better and sit up taller and lift taller and like all those things that, you know, that you want to be strong for, but also think about during the day, because like, if you, yeah, like think about it, like you're sitting in the office and like, you might be hunched over and you might be listening to this podcast and sitting at the office hunched over. And, you know, it's those kind of moments of like, go back to when you're working out and why you're doing it. So I've been thinking about the whys, but then I also, it makes me think about the whys in parenting. And that can be a little bit of a different rabbit hole, if you will, to go down. I'm not trying to go down the wrong path of that and be like negative or whatnot, but like, it does make me think about my earlier on choices and why I chose cesarean and why I chose not to breastfeed. And I still stand by my choices and, you know, how Adia has developed um, so beautifully. I'm very proud of her and I'm proud to be a mom and, and all of those things. But, you know, at the time it was like constant questioning and, oh my God, I'm failing and failing and mom guilt and all those things. And it just layers and layers up. Well, obviously there's a little bit of like me saying like, oh, I'm thinking about the wise to set up my next guest. But when I was, you know, slightly stalking on Instagram, um, the next guest account, it did. It made me start thinking about the whys and why I chose certain things because she has been so brave and coming forward to kind of advocate for women to stand strong in their whys and their decisions. So today I welcome Shahida Yasmin Khan onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. She is a registered midwife of nine years with the NHS. Um, she recently went private, which is, I can't wait to learn more about it. Um, She's also a breastfeeding specialist. And when I reflect on the whys, going back to it, I felt very shameful that I didn't breastfeed, but it was my choice not to. And my thought process was clear in the fact I'm a business owner and I needed to get back to it. Little did I know that we were going to be in a pandemic, but um, my plan was to just like 
she was still going to be healthy. I was a bottle fed child. My husband was a bottle fed child. I think we turned out okay. So that's why I went that route. And what I love about Shahida's account is that she doesn't put blame or judgment on you. She actually explains to you why you go a certain path, especially with breastfeeding or not, or bottle feeding. She teaches it all, which I just personally found so brilliant. And I will say before we let her into the, into the conversation that um, I wish I would have met her and, and maybe she could have educated me better that I could have felt more confident going down the route of breastfeeding. Who knows? Who freaking knows? But um, I really love what she's doing with Mother Shahida platform. And um, I'm really excited to meet her, to welcome her onto the podcast. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chats. Shahida Yasmin Khan, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm so, so excited to be talking to you. This is your first, this is your first podcast. Yeah. First I don't normally do podcasts, um, but because you are so nicely. <laughs> uh, I thought, let me, let me break my podcast virginity with Busy Mumsy. Why, why not? Because both you and I are very much a Busy Mumsy. Yeah. And, you know, when I came across your Instagram, I was just like, wow, wow, wow. I want to learn more. And what I can say is that I feel like this actual podcast is going to turn into kind of like that script for expecting mumsies out there that have all sorts of questions about a midwife, breastfeeding, tongue tie, because these are the many hats that you wear, that you are an expert. And I honestly, I, I, I honestly could not be so beyond thrilled to have you on here. So with that said, I want to just go back to, because I'd love to go back to not just talking about what you do as a working woman, but go back to you as that expecting mumsy, you as that, you know, that vessel, if you will, carrying your, your, your baby girl, who is now, how, how old is she now? Three. She's, She's three. three. Habiba. 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 Okay, I love that. And what does that mean? Is there a meaning behind the name? So it means gift from God. Who's <gasps> actually going to be called Amira. And me and my husband were so set on it. So set on calling her Amira. Amira just means princess. And I loved the sound of Amira, but princess, yeah, the, the meaning didn't really mean anything to us. And we actually had a midwife called Hiba look after us. Um, and my husband was like, oh, Hiba, I really like that name. And then he Googled it, found out the meaning. Um, and the meaning just meant more to us just because of our journey with her, our pregnancy. Um, it did take us a while to conceive her as well. So we really felt like she was in NICU as well. Like so much happened with her. So when we saw her, I still wasn't convinced on Hiba until the sixth day. So in my religion, um, we we it's best to um, announce the name on the seventh day. So we were like, our whole family were waiting for us to announce the name and they thought we picked it and we were just being sly and just like waiting for the seventh day. But we actually hadn't even picked it until the sixth day. Um, my husband sent me this lovely passage explaining the name in 
greater detail. So he basically said, so it means gift from God. But the paragraph he sent me was, um, so Hibba means gift from God. It's a gift from God that you expect you accept from God and he expects nothing back from you. Just but he just expects you to accept the gift. So I was like, okay, well now I have to accept it, don't I? <laughs> you have to. I mean, what a beautiful name yeah. and a beautiful gift. And yeah, I, honestly. I just absolutely love that. Um, I I, ha- I do have to share with you, my, my daughter's name is Adia and it means God's treasure. Oh, so really not far off, and so um, in in Hindi, as my um, my my uh, husband's side of the family um, are Indian, and I wanted to merge the Indian culture. And Adia's middle name is Rose after oh, my grandma. Oh. So, um, oh, I just love like they're, they're very similar in yeah, the, the meaning. You know, I think like the like I don't know your your background with like your pregnancy and your journey and stuff like that, but I mean, gift from God. There's so many names that mean gift from God in in the Arabic yeah. language, but I think the journey we went through to become parents and our pregnancy, like it meant even more to us. Like she is really a gift from God. Well, I I let's dive in because I actually want to know what it was like for you carrying Hibba because you are an expert and you are very much in the thick of the healthcare system in the UK. So what was it like for you, your journey for you and your husband? So when you're a midwife, you're either, there's two types of pregnant midwives you can be. You can either be the midwife who knows everything and you're cool, calm and collected because you know everything. So it's like, you know what to expect. And if anything does happen, it's like, oh yeah, I know everything about that. Or you're the midwife who knows everything and that has an impact on your thinking, your anxiety, your mental health. Um, And I thought I was gonna be the cool, calm, collected midwife. Um, And I was. (laughs) Even not being a midwife, don't we all think we're gonna be I know, exactly. And, So the first trimester I found really hard to enjoy because I was just like, I was just so scared of miscarrying. And um, we went on holiday to Bali. And I remember I was so annoyed at my husband for booking that trip because we were trying, we were trying to get pregnant. So I told him, don't book the trip because if I'm pregnant, like I just knew I was going to be anxious. We ended up booking the trip and then we were pregnant. So I was about eight weeks and honestly, I was just so paranoid I'm going to miscarry in a different country. Like, it, it took me a while to, like, really enjoy the holiday. Then after the first trimester, like, when we were past the, like, high risk of, you know, miscarrying, like, the thing is, even though there's that thing, like, oh, the first 14 weeks you're at high risk of having a miscarriage, obviously me being a midwife, I know anything can go wrong at any point. And there was always this anxiety in me, or I just had this feeling like, something's gonna happen something's gonna happen but anyway second trimester kicked in and that's when we all feel amazing you know pregnancy's a breeze we've got past the symptoms and I did I honestly felt like that um so I have a low BMI so because I have a low BMI I was I don't want to say entitled to but the guidelines and the um in the hospital are if you have a low BMI you get extra scans so just to check that you know your baby's growing fine um and ironically I had I was worried my baby was going to be too big for me. So I was like, if she's more than like six pounds, I want a cesarean section. Because actually, if you saw me, you would be like, okay, I see why you wanted. I'm 
from your frame just sitting there. I'm honestly, I'm so petite. I mean, I'm I'm 5'9". I feel like you probably come up to like my hip bone. Yeah, exactly. I'm five foot. So, um, so I was just just in my head, I was like, if she's too big, I want a section. If she's too big. And I was just focusing on that. Didn't think it was going to go the other way. So on my 28-week scan, um, she was a bit small. So my consultant was like, she's a bit small, but, you know, you're small, your husband's small, um, but she's smaller than what we would like her to be, so let's just keep an eye. So she wanted me to come in for, like, monitoring of the heart rate. So I remember I went in, I was 29 weeks, I sat there watching Friends, her heart rate was um, being monitored, and then her heart rate dipped. So it dipped for about three minutes. Now, midwives, we rotate in special, in all spe- all areas, and then we can become core where we prefer. So I'm a postnatal midwife. So I deal with pregnant, um, with moms after they've had their babies. That's why I love my breastfeeding stuff. So the antenatal stuff, I wasn't, I was a bit, like I wasn't too clued up on it. So I was 29 weeks when that happened dips in the heart rate so I just looked at the CTG and I just thought maybe this is normal for 29 weeks because she did pick up again so I was just like shuffling because what we get mums to do is if there's a dip in the heart rate we get them to move around because that can help pick up the heart rate anyways that happened like a few times but I was really honest and I'm a midwife but on I think as that means nothing when you're pregnant your midwife cap goes off and the the mama bear cap comes on so I remember I then messaged my my midwife who I picked to deliver my um, my baby, and I remember messaging her on board, come and keep me company. Like I'm in this room, strapped on a monitor. The midwives were like really busy, um, so she came in, and as she came in, she saw like Hiba had had like five decelerations, like three minutes long each time. So she was just like, oh what's going on here and I could tell she didn't want to like alarm me but she's like I'm just gonna pop out speak to a consultant consultant came in and then he didn't want to tell me so he took the midwife out and said like yeah we need to get this baby out because and I was 29 weeks and at this point she was about 800 grams so that was her weight on the scan so that's like literally yeah, less than a kilo so and the midwife I picked for my delivery, like she's a hard nut. That's why I picked her. Um, but when she like, I remember she knelt down, looked me in the eyes. She started crying. So I was like, oh, because the midwife I picked does not cry. Like she's such a hard nut. And that's why I wanted her as my midwife. I didn't want to be cushioned. I just wanted someone to tell me as it was. So she started crying, like got a bit teary. And she was like, we're going to have to get her out. And oh my God, I was numb. Because I was like, 29 weeks man and she's 800 grams like it's too soon and then she was like call your husband like you know we're gonna prepare you to take you to theater and I just remember like I cried a bit but I was just numb because I was like I don't know like I just didn't have to there in the in the the moment still you are still a mama bear not nothing there is no end to it yeah mean like you were still protective and yeah exactly so oh bless. that's why I just felt so numb because I was like I want to protect her but she's 29 weeks 800 grams like what can I do like we have to get her out and she's having these d cells so um so d cells decelerations in her heartbeat so then I remember I called my sister and then bless her like called her up and I was like, so can you pack me a hospital bag? Cause they're gonna deliver her today. And I was just so like, blah, blah with it. Like just 
blurted it out to her. And then she was like, what, huh? What? Like, you're 29 weeks. Like, she, she spent so long just like, what, huh, what? And I was like, can you just pack my bag for me and get it here? Because they're going to deliver her, like, within the hour, as soon as Rahan gets here. So bless her, she had to have to process what I just said, but at the same time, like, rush to my house, pack everything. And she was like, what do I pack? I was like, I don't know, because... I don't know, like, there's obviously nothing for her, so just everything for me. I was like, I remember saying to her, imagine I'm staying at my mum's house, like, I'm staying over, what would I pack? Pyjamas, all of that stuff, to pack that. Uh, I, I just, like, yeah, my mind was... Essentially, you're going to be in the hospital now for a bit. Because yeah. that the child is going to end up in, in the NICU, and NICU, you're, exactly. to, you're, you're definitely going to have to be there every step of the way to just make, you know, Mama Bear's not yeah. going anywhere. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then I remember thinking, damn it, I was so focused on her being, I was worried about her being too big for me that I didn't see this coming. And then I just, and then while I was waiting for my husband, I just remember getting really upset, not because she was going to NICU and she was coming out early, but more like, oh, like I'm so skinny as it is. And I, all my life I've heard, you're so skinny, you're so skinny. And then I was like, oh, now people are going to chat even more crap. Like, oh, you couldn't even get your baby to term. Oh my God, you couldn't even grow your baby like big. And I remember like just feeling like, a, and I, this sounds like a cliche because I think every mom feels like a failure at some point. But at that point, I really did feel like my body's failed me. Like it couldn't even freaking grow a baby. You know, like, and this is what I was worried about. Like, my body was going to fail me in my pregnancy. One, it took me a while to get pregnant, but thank God I did get pregnant naturally. But two, now I, like, couldn't even grow my baby. So I just remember thinking a lot about what are people going to say. People are going to say, you're so small, you don't eat, you don't drink, your baby didn't grow, like, as if it was my fault. <laughs> and I, I did get that. But I, I just, like... I've had this happen to me before on other podcasts where I'm like, smoke is coming out of my ears. Yeah. And why do we as women do this to ourselves I know. and realize and beat ourselves up and not actually give the grace that we deserve on the fact that you've made it to 29 weeks yeah. carrying a gorgeous child in your body, still maintaining work. I have no doubt that you yeah. are a, a, a workaholic and was yeah. working and doing everything you could to keep yourself healthy. And that stuff should really matter. And yet, here you are, a very educated woman, beating yourself up on it. I know. And you know what? And the type of person I am, like, honestly, I've always been quite thick skinned. And I think a a, a lot of that comes from the fact that because I'm petite, I've always felt like I've had to overcompensate who I am, my personality, how I come across. Because I, I don't, I want people to know like, yeah, I'm petite, yeah, I'm Muslim, yeah, I wear a hijab, but you can't mess with me. Like, no, 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 no. Don't put me in a box and categorize me. Like, I will defend myself. And I've, I've been like that, you know, in school and stuff. And I was proud of myself. Like, I was just like, yeah, I'm a hard like, no, no one can chat shit to me. Like, nothing will make me cry. But that, that putting, blaming me for something that was one out of my controls, one, two, that was medical, um, and three, like, it is what it is kind of thing. It's a biological thing that happened, but to put that on me, yeah, that was really hard. And and I was right. Like, I only felt that because I knew people were going to do it, and they did. You're married to an Indian guy. 
I don't know what your experience is, what South Asians, no boundaries, no filter. They don't think about people's feelings and like, and they, they come from a good place, but they just, they're so oblivious to how their words can hurt. And then of course, as soon as I was admitted, so at the end, they didn't have to deliver her on that day because of course her dad was coming and then she started to behave. So they were like, okay, we're going to hold fire. Yeah, so we're going to hold fire, but you're not going home. So I stayed in hospital from 29 weeks up until delivery, which was 34 weeks. So five weeks in hospital. Um, We have something in maternity called the midwife's curse. And that is basically, we honestly believe a midwife never has a smooth journey, either with her pregnancy. So either her pregnancy, something happens, or her labor, something happens, but her postpartum period is fine. So her breastfeeding and stuff, or her labor, her pregnancy, everything's lush, but the postpartum, the breastfeeding goes wrong, or she's admitted for something. Like, honestly, we we believe in this curse. <laughs> Smooth sailing that just does not exist. Yeah, not for the wise. So, but I was just so grateful. I was at the hospital that I worked at. Everyone who took care of me, like, Oh, if I could, every time I think about it, I just want to squish all of them. Like I survived five weeks in hospital because of my colleagues. Like they were just amazing. So we got to 34 weeks, thank God. Um, and because basically first it was like, okay, you're not going past 36 weeks and you're definitely having a cesarean because if her heart rate, if her heart rate is dipping with no stimulus, so no contraction, this little dinky winky is not gonna, one contraction, her heart rate's going to dip. So I was okay with that. I was like, fine, 34 weeks. And then the scan, every time I went for a scan, like something was showing something. So basically she just was not putting on enough weight. She just was plonking on a little bit, little bit. There was so much, like the scans were basically showing she wasn't growing. So 36 weeks turned into 34, 34 then turned into 32. 32 then turned into day by day, we're just going to see what happens and thankfully I made it to 34 so she came out 34 weeks and she was 1.4 kilograms which was three pounds three pounds pounds. um and then we spent two and a half I I I have to tell you um, my daughter was was times three yeah nine pounds she she was just shy of 10 wow (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I have to ask you because, you know, I'm, w- with the Busy Mumsy podcast, I'm very lucky to have women that are expecting, that are listening in, and they find a lot of peace in a lot of these chats, and they help in certain stages that they are in. And just anything that you get from that experience that you could share right now in, in your, you know, up to 29 weeks of like, was there any extra little things that you could share to that listener that might help them where their, you know, their baby heart is dipping or this and that? Was there, was there extra activity or anything that anything that you could or that you know now that you could have perhaps, you know, do or whatnot for, you know, to help? So obviously, because I'm, I'm a midwife, um, I so. What was happening to her medically, there was nothing I could do. So I kind of accepted that. I was like, I'm going to be a NICU mom. She's going to go to NICU. 
that's it. So the first week in hospital, I was crying every day, crying, crying, crying. Um, and then after one week, I pulled myself together because I was like, okay, this is happening. She's going to go to NICU. There's no point crying about it. So what can I do? What am I like? I changed my mindset. Um, and I started um, harvesting my colostrum. So I was 30 weeks pregnant and I decided I'm going to start collecting my milk for my baby. Um, because explain, I was like, okay. but can, can you dive further in explaining this? Because for, for someone that perhaps doesn't have, has no clue, no clue what this harvesting is, colstrom harvesting, um, please dive further into it. You're going to see me like, because I, I love about colostrum harvesting. <laughs> Trust me, when I was like writing out notes and like preparing for this, I was like, I'm so excited to learn. <laughs> so, colostrum harvesting is essentially collecting your milk while you're pregnant. Um, and the, the amazing thing you need to know about your body is you produce this from 16 weeks of pregnancy every mom okay it's a biological thing that happens it does not spare any women so from 16 weeks of pregnancy you produce colostrum but our bodies are so amazing that because you have your placenta that's providing for your baby some moms they don't experience leaking they don't notice any of this production happening i mean i was got huge like your breasts change like in terms of how they look and feel but you don't you don't see the colostrum so that's why a lot of mums they don't think they have it because they're just like yeah my boobs have gone big yeah my nipples are darker but I'm not leaking so they don't they don't they think they don't have it but actually you do everybody has it from 16 weeks but because the placenta is providing for your baby your body knows okay you don't need to leak you don't need to lactate you don't need to have a letdown because the baby's not here to feed, right? So that's why a lot of moms, they may not experience leaking and that's absolutely fine. But the colostrum basically is it's just sitting there, waiting for your baby to come out. And the reason why it's produced at 16 weeks is again, our bodies are just so amazing. It's just in case you have a premature baby, it's there, it's ready for your baby. Your, wait, take that in, your body knows to do this yes from 16 weeks and I know this because I did a cheeky squeeze when I was 16 weeks pregnant because I was like oh let me see if I actually have anything and I did um and I remember like me and my husband just sat on the sofa and I was like and he's like what are you doing and I was like oh, I'm just checking and then he saw it and he was like what the? he was like it's amazing but that's at the same time like that is weird <laughs> so that's at 16 weeks wow so that's everyone this while you, once you got settled in the hospital, knew that you were going to fight to the bitter end yeah. and you were 30 weeks and you were going to start this journey, yeah. this process. Because I was like, I've lost control now. Yeah. Like, sorry. Everyone around you in the hospital, what was the feedback like from so, them? You are taking control, really. Yeah. So... Um, and I think that's what it was. I was like, okay, I've lost control of my pregnancy now. And I'm not at home anymore. This is my home, this the hospital. I'm not even in control of my delivery. Like I'm having this planned cesarean. She's going into NICU. So like, like, every, like I just, I think that's why I was so upset because it's like, everything's out of my control. So to regain control, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I, my baby's going to go to NICU. I want her to have my milk. I'm going to do this. So 
you asked about everyone's reaction. There was a lot of raised eyebrows. So there's this theory that, so what allows our breast milk to come out is this hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the love hormone. It's the hormone that makes us just feel so happy, so in love when we have sex, when we hug, um, kiss, cuddle, everything. Oxytocin is making us feel that way. Oxytocin is also the main hormone to bring on our contractions. Oxytocin is also the main hormone to allow our milk to come out. So it's the letdown hormone. So the theory is, if we are stimulating oxytocin to stimulate this letdown, we may stimulate our contractions. So a lot of moms are discouraged from doing it from 37 weeks. And I was that midwife. I was that midwife. I'm not going to even lie. I used to tell moms, don't do it before 37 weeks because you might go into labor. But when I was sitting there at 30 weeks, um, I had to look at the research myself and I was like, there's actually no research to support this. Like, no, and, and then I was thinking, no, I remember I was speaking to our infant feeding lead midwife and she was like, do we stop you from having sex in pregnancy? Do we, uh, moms that are uh, pregnant and breastfeeding a toddler, do we get them to stop breastfeeding? Um, like there's so much that oozes oxytocin, but we don't stop moms from doing it. And I was like, you're so right. Like, especially the breastfeeding a toddler. It's like. Not. That is questions I was going to ask you with this. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I, I mean, I have so many friends that are on baby number two and that are breast that, yeah. So yeah. it's like, but then it doesn't stimulate. It doesn't. And we don't, we don't, we don't even discourage moms to stop breastfeeding. So why are we discouraging mom? So in fairness, not every mom needs to hand express before 37 weeks. Um, like if you've got no risk factors and your pregnancy is fine, low risk, wait till 36, 37 weeks. But moms like me who are going to have a premature delivery or who um, some moms, they're leaking already and they want to catch what they're leaking because every drop is so precious. Like, I remember this one time where my husband offered Hiba like 100 mils instead of 80. And we always gave Hiba 80 mils of my breast milk. But he was like, I think she had a few feeds that she drank a bit more. So he offered 100. And I stared at him. And I was like, bruv, what are you doing? Because she drinks 80. I was like, she's going to wait. So scrappy. You are so scrappy. You I was just like... Hida, you are mother scrappy. <laughs> I was like to him, she's not going to finish that. And and I was like, obviously hormonal. And I was like, she's not going to finish that. You don't wake up twice at night time, sitting on the sofa, half asleep, pumping like a cow with the medella mum mooing, medella pump mooing in your face. Like you don't do that. I do. So if she doesn't drink that milk and because after, because whatever she doesn't drink, we have to chuck away. And I was like, that's my milk. That's my hard work. I've got so much. Like, I could have divorced his ass that, like, if if Hibber didn't drink that milk. And she didn't. And I remember, I, like, I had to leave the room because I was like, that's my milk. That is so precious to me. That is so precious to her. Like, every drop is so precious to them. Like, some moms, they don't care, but majority of moms, they do. So moms who get a letdown in pregnancy, they want to catch it. Some moms do have a letdown before 36 weeks. So... My belief is that if you need to medically do it before 36 weeks with the support of your midwife and a chat and just understanding the risks, it is like I deem it safe. And I made that informed decision that I'm going to do it. So for 30 weeks, from 30 weeks, 
I started. No, actually, I did start from when I got admitted. But this is the thing. So when I got admitted, I was obviously very upset. And then I was like, I just couldn't get my head around what was happening. I was crying every day. So as I was trying to hand express, nothing came out. Nothing, not even a drop. And do you know why that was? Because I was stressed. Now, oxytocin is a love hormone and it's fueled by feeling good. Cortisol, which is our stress hormone, counsels out oxytocin. So I always, I always explain it to moms as, say like you're in the mood, you know, to have a good time with your husband, like oxytocin's high, he comes and gives you a hug and a peck on the cheek and you're like, yeah, you know, oxytocin's high and you're ready to do what you got to do. And then he does something to piss you off. So I don't know, chucks the chuck socks on the floor or leave the fridge door open or, you know, has the umbrella open, you know, contacts thrown on the exactly. And then suddenly keep on going on. Exactly. And then suddenly that oxytocin that you had. Yeah. Just look at him and the oxytocin goes. And some of these things might stress you, like some of these things not stress you out in the in the typical way of stressing out, but it could it can increase your cortisol and then the oxytocin goes down. And then when he's like, Yeah, come on, babe, you're like, nah, piss off. Like that because the cortisol has cancelled out the oxytocin and you're not in the mood anymore. Okay. So right. that's how cortisol and oxytocin work against each other. So if your oxytocin is high, it cancels out your stress and if your stress levels are high it counts as oxytocin so when I was there trying to catch at 29 weeks I couldn't because I was stressed I was crying my body was just fighting against the oxytocin hormone but after a week when I changed my mindset I was like okay I'm going to do this it came it was flowing so this is what I always say to mums when I talk about colostrum harvesting when you don't get anything never say it's because Oh, I don't have anything. My body's not producing. Uh-uh. Your body is. It's just a hormonal thing or it's the technique that you're using. So I did it every day from 36 weeks on, until her delivery and then after she was born until my breast milk came in. And once my breast milk came in, um, I started pumping. But, yeah, I got a lot of stairs because obviously I was doing it before 36 weeks. and ooh, ooh. But I just remember I used to, like, so I had to, once I expressed it, I had to go to Niku and store it in their freezer. And I used to, like, so I silently gloat to everyone like hey I'm expressing and my baby's still inside like no contractions here like just to show them like it, it's, it's it's a theory that's not true and we deprive so many mums from doing this that where we know the baby's going to go to NICU and the one thing that they can that can empower them and make them feel good about themselves that something amazing they're going to give to their baby we're just not practicing it I mean, do you find, though, that with expecting moms just in general, that there is still a lot just not not only just with breastfeeding, but in other other areas that it's still not researched enough and supported enough? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm from like the fitness field. And when, you know, I had Adia and they were releasing me from the hospital and they gave me this like two sided pamphlet and was like, here's your workout journey. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I just gave birth to a child and now I'm leaving with a human being and you're going to give me a two-sided pamphlet and that's just going to be it. So, yeah. and I'm going to put myself back together now. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I just feel like it's like so behind in so many areas and yet yeah. 
so now we're in, you know, we're, we're just going to shimmy on through 2022 and into 2023 and still not put any highlights and make some moves in mountains and, you know, really push out what we could be doing to empower us even further. Exactly. Carrying a child. Yeah. So you have your glorious baby and you, you walk out there a bit taller, don't you? Yeah, you do. <laughs> a little bit taller because you know, you, you, you successfully, you know, kind of went against certain things, but really proved it. And now you're able to educate more and more, yeah. which is like, and I think that's, what, that's what I'm trying to show moms. Like, even if you don't have the optimal birth or the optimal pregnancy, or you feel out of control, do something to gain that control back. Like it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a, a situation where you feel like you've lost. And I feel like sometimes moms do do that. And then we like, it's almost like we surrender ourselves to the system because it's just like, okay, now I'm like, um, I've, I've gone off the tangent of a normal birth or a normal pregnancy. So now I just have to do what the doctors say and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't, as long as you're comfortable in your decisions and you're making informed decisions. And that's the most important thing that people are, are explaining to you the risks and the benefits. And I do find that that doesn't happen like um, here in our, unfortunately in our system, in the NHS, like we are, like midwives get a lot of slack that we don't give adequate breastfeeding support. Like we're rubbish at doing it, but that's not the case. I am a midwife. I am a, I'm a midwife. I've had the same training as my colleagues. I've, I have had a bit more because of, um, I've done a specialist role within the NHS, but I then go on to teach that to my fellow midwives. So we all have the same knowledge. Um, but what it is, is it's time. And it's the system that doesn't allow us to give good feeding support. Like a lady gives birth, we need to get her onto the postnatal ward so we can bring in the next one. So how are we going to have time to allow her to do one hour of skin to skin and help support putting her baby to the breast? Let me tell you, Ashley, my home visits that I do privately are two hours long. And I spend two hours in a woman's house going through everything she needs to know about feeding to do my assessments, take a history, do my assessments, give her the support she needs, implement the changes, support her with anything else two hours midwives are lucky if they get two minutes to sit with a woman and give her breastfeeding support this is what i absolutely love that your instagram actually captures so beautifully um, for the listeners at mother shahida um it will be in the show notes as well um it will all be linked um is that you are, and you just gave a, a beautiful shout out to the NHS and you work for them, but you also have your private practice and you know that there just needs to be more education and more time. And one thing that I absolutely love that you are doing, that it's not just that you are up saying you have to breastfeed and that's it. You are also educating about bottle feeding and about expressing and bottle and boob and, and all of it that no matter what you are giving the best journey you possibly can for a child. Exactly. And I think that's so important. Yeah. So when you go into these two hour sessions that, um, that you are having with, you know, a, a now very busy, tired mom, <laughs> yeah. what, what are those like five, you know, top things that you bring to the table that you, you never leave a home without telling them um, educating them, 
to do or to at least try during their journey? So the first thing I have to say that I bring to them that I want them to remember is that, oh my God, she was so kind and compassionate and she gave me her time. Because, oh, we are so vulnerable in our postpartum period and anything can break us so easily. Um, I I have to, I'm going to dive in there and say that too. I never expected I personally could feel that way until I was in the thick of it. Yeah. It, it can, it, it just, just. And I've, that stays with me because I remember there was this nurse when Hiba was in NICU. So when you're in NICU, you have to, when the doctors are doing ward rounds, you have to wear headphones so you can't hear the, the plan and the care of another baby next to you. So I wore the headphones and when it was Hiba's turn, I took the headphones off and then I heard what they had to say about her. And then they, they walked off and then I just forgot to put my headphones on and I just went on my phone and then the nurse came up to me and she was just like, we don't give you those headphones for no reason. You need to put them on your head because for private and confidentiality. And that's exactly how she said it to me. And this was on my third day. So my milk was coming in. I was very emotional, but also like I've just had a section. My baby's in NICU, like piss off. Give me a break. Um, and it was just her tone. If she had just said it like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, do you mind just putting your headphones back on? Because, um, you know, private and confidentiality. I would have been like, oh, my God, of course. Like, you can say the same thing in a kind and compassionate way, the same message. And it would be, you know, it doesn't hurt. And I just remember that stuck with me. And that made me, being a NICU mom as a midwife has really shaped me into I mean I'd like to think I was a lovely midwife beforehand but it really has made me even more compassionate and more aware of how I say things and I think that's why I cover everything on my page breastfeeding bottle feeding pumping mixed feeding formula feed, everything because I never want a mom to come on my page and feel like one there's nothing here for me and two like she's being judged or she make, she's made to feel bad. And the thing is, nobody is making you feel bad, but you're just so vulnerable and you're so conscious of everything. Um, so that's why I include everything on my page because I really want mums to just feel empowered, feel okay and feel supported because a, a, a lot of it, I mean, there is a really massive lack of support with breastfeeding but I would also say there's a lack of there's a lack of support in any type of feeding Um, and I would I would say that from my personal experience like so I went on to exclusively pump for three months and I remember a health visitor came and she was just like to me you're a midwife you can just put her to the breast and I was like mate I'm like pumping free hourly every day I wake up twice at night like I'm keeping a diary like I'm sitting there with my pump for 40 minutes f- to provide for my baby and my kid was like putting on the weight like you could just tap me in the back and say well done but instead she was like you're a midwife you know you could just put her to the breast and at that point Hibba was like 2.2 kilograms so that's like just shy of five pounds so I just felt like you've, you've taken no time to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're not empowering me. And then on top of that, you're saying I should breastfeed, but you're not providing me any support. And I was just so sick of mums feeling like 
crap for whatever they decided to do. Um, so yeah, I'm just all for like your decision. I'm going to support you with it. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it because I, um, I, I didn't come across your page when I was, you know, in my early stages with Adia, and I actually um, did not breastfeed, and that was a choice of mine, and I think it was the choice at the time, all geared around work, and that I wouldn't be able to be that modern woman, if you will, and like get back to my business and teaching and this and that and. I, I just did not have a clear headspace and I, I didn't think I was going to have the support. And so bottle feeding was the best route for us. Then we ended up in a lockdown and then, yeah. you know, we added that layer to it and, and all of, all of that. And then trying to figure out formulas and yeah. what is best. We had no clue. Exactly. We had no help. We had no clue. I, I, I'm so sure we spent, hundreds and hundreds of pounds on different formulas we had we had in a scooby we had in a scooby that we ended up with like a, a, an optimal version that was for bad digestion or something yeah. and i was just like ah, after like the, the, the 20th bottle bought this it's is the just- thing and even as like ashley like even as healthcare professionals like as a midwife like I've seen it in handover, like if a midwife hands over like, oh, this mom's bottle feeding by choice, we're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like, just leave her. Like she doesn't need any support. But like you said, she does. She needs to know the flow of the milk, that the flow of the tea. She needs to know what milk to buy. Like not necessarily the brand, but does she need extra, um, what is it? Hungry baby milk. Does she need the anti-reflux? Does she need the good night sleep milk? Like, and mums, they don't know to ask this and they feel like they can't because nobody asks them like, how's your feeding journey going? Like, would you like to know anything? Like, it's, it's like, oh, you're bottle feeding. That's the easier thing. There you go. Do you're it. Done. Yeah. And again, and then you, then you feel like you're kind of pushed into this, like another judgment zone. It's just like when you have cesarean, you're put into a judgment zone. I had an elected cesarean. My hands were up. I just said, I think this might be the best option for me. And that's what I wanted to do. And then it was just kind of like, Oh, Oh, you want the easy way. You want the to push to push, love. (laughs) Um, I've been working on my accent. Thank you very much. Um, You know, I, I, I think that there's just should always be, you know, room for anyone and everyone. Having a child is at the end of the day, nurturing, loving, creating space, creating a safe environment for that new being, that new life that you want to just flourish. Right. So mm-hmm. my choices, that was the route that I went. And I thought that that was the best for Adia, your yeah. choices. They were right for you and your family. And that, and, and what you're doing now to empower women to make choices through breastfeeding whatever version that is honestly deserves all the gold stars in the world because you don't see it enough. You don't see it enough. You don't hear it enough. And I, I really, I I do wish that I was, you know, gaining the knowledge that I've gotten from your Instagram account um, back when I, like I said, in my earlier stages, because I know it would have been helpful for me and it probably could have saved me and my husband a few fights. Let me tell you the whole size of the teat and like how fast it should be coming out and the angle. We got into arguments at probably like three thirty in the morning, four yeah. in the morning. Like, I mean, we didn't know which end was up and what we were doing. And like, I, 
I mean, we definitely were, didn't have our contacts and our glasses on. So who knows? Maybe Ricky had the formula and Adia didn't for all I know. But those were very, very, very long nights. Yeah. So where you are now, your glorious girl is three years old. Yes. Isn't it like thriving threes now? Like once you're oh like, my God. like, please tell me because I'm nearing the threes and I've been at the bottom of the pool in the terrible twos for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see the light. So I would say, ter- I, I don't even think it's terrible twos. I feel like Hiba was like terrible twoing at 18 months. But yeah. honestly, though, I mean, I do sometimes joke like she's she's a three-nager because like we do still get the tantrums and stuff, but it is such a fun age. She's talking so much more. She says the funniest things. And I think we're even more amazed because she was premature and she was like literally this big. So when she does, I think when any child does anything and they're developing and it's a master and it's like, oh my God. But when a premature baby does it, it's just like, holy like oh my god because I don't know we just think like you're born early so maybe you'll be a bit behind but when they're like doing really well and actually matching all their peers it's just like okay we're doing something right like she's all right and it is more of an accomplishment I think and anyone and everyone that's a parent is always going I think I'm doing something right yeah yeah I'm gonna high five myself for that today with your journey of giving birth and now that you are you know in, in in the glorious threes and she is thriving would you consider having another child with oh, 100%. 100% yeah, yeah i mean because, you know for some people you know having something you know traumatic like ha- you know in the middle of the birth or you know th- throughout the journey could be, you know could put you off and yeah, yeah so so you would absolutely I would 100% do it again. I would, like, my my pregnancy, my birth, my postpartum, I loved everything about it. And I would not change it for the world. And I think that's why I decided to go private and do what I do, share what I share, and just, yeah, literally educate and empower women. Because that's that was me. I was educated so I was empowered in all my decision making. I had no regrets. Um, and I did things that were out of the ordinary, but I knew what I was doing. I made informed decisions in everything that I did. And like everything turned out okay. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't have that, that support because, you know, I was getting a lot of raised eyebrows. Oh, she's hand expressing at 30 weeks. Her baby's already going to go to NICU. Like, she needs to make it to 34. Like, she might go into labor before. Like, what is she doing? But nobody said anything to me at the same time because I did do... So I did the infant feeding specialist role. So I think they kind of thought, okay, we can't say anything to her because she's like the breastfeeding specialist. But at the same time, I do feel like some people were a bit like, "Mm, don't think she's doing the right thing. And then even after when I decided to pump... you know three hourly for the first three months like health visitors again just not supportive or they were just like why don't you just put to the breast like why are you doing this it's such a hard thing and it's like well I actually feel really good doing this and I'm providing for my daughter so I just want women to have that feeling when it comes to making choices for their babies I I I was going to say like about passing the torch to that busy mumsy about what what would you advise them to do? But but you just said it. Yeah. Speak up without even saying speak up. Yeah. It is 
find your voice and be proud of your journey yes. and your choices. Exactly. If you have questions, ask. Because there are so many people like yourself that are starting to promote their voices and get the voices out there more and more. Because I, I, I know you just launched a website too, right? Yeah. So it's like, you're just going to keep on pumping more and more information out onto that website so that more women that are going through their journey can go to outlets like yours to educate, empower, and probably reach out and they need help. Yeah. And that's what Right. I mean, that's why I do this podcast. It's like, this is therapy for me too. Like I love reaching out to other women, men, grandparents, siblings that are nurturing, loving, caring for a child, because I learn, I'm learning from this. I'm growing from this. And, you know, last year I had a miscarriage. Would I, do I want to have another child? Absolutely. I am fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed. I want it to happen. And I love that you said, even though you went through, you know, a, a moment during your pregnancy that was, you know, iffy and questionable, you powered through it. You are scrappy. You made it through it. And now you, you could do it all over again. And I love that. And that I is. What this I think that's what it is like as women as well. Like we're just so quick to tear others down and there's already so much judgment in motherhood like just so much and again just going back to my page and why I cover everything that's exactly why like I just like there's so many breastfeeding pages out there that are great um and but they do mainly focus on like breastfeeding but I know why they do that like even my page is very breastfeeding heavy and it's because that is where the lack of support lack of resource lack of knowledge is for a lot of moms and even like healthcare professionals but at the same time there's not enough information about other things and that's why these moms they do feel you know guilty and bad and feel like they're being judged because they're not being supported um I remember once I saw on a page like if you um, breastfeeding is great for the environment because you're not using plastic bottles and, you know, the, the packaging that the formula comes in. So breast, by actually breastfeeding, you are saving the planet, which may be technically true, but I remember what seeing that post and thinking, wow, well, what if a mom wanted to breastfeed and she couldn't breastfeed, right? Because she had issues and she lost her supply and she ended up giving formula not by choice, but because of a consequence. And then she came across that, like that would make her want to shrivel up and literally die because she's probably already feeling guilty and grief over the breastfeeding journey she couldn't have. And then she comes across this. So that's why, again, I just really want to be balanced in my page. And I just I just really don't want any mum to ever feel bad for their decision, especially as women, like, let's support each other, women empowerment, let's just, you know, be there for each other. And we don't need to be judgy and tear each other down. And um, make noise together to lift each other up. Exactly, exactly. And I'm just, I'm sick of it. Like, even Instagram is... It's a it's a funny place. Like I love it because obviously it's the birth of my business and it's where I get a lot of my business and just interacting with other women. Like I absolutely love it. But the one thing I do hate about it is this culture of calling people out and cancel culture and oh I saw on this page they said this and they're wrong and I like that's one thing I hate about Instagram. It's so easy to do that. 
it is very easy, but I will have to say this to you that Shahida, I would never cancel you for the simple fact that you are not only as we have all witnessed and learned, you are scrappy, but you are just a voice of so much knowledge, so much wealth for an expecting mumsy that I can only hope that the listener keeps on coming back and listens to this over and over again. They click the links in the show notes to come to you, to see, to learn, to grow. Thank you so much for coming on to the Busy Mumsy. Thank you, honestly. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Busy Mumsy podcast. If you have enjoyed this week's show, then please, please give it some extra love wherever you download your podcast and give it a five-star rating, a high five, a kickball change, a yes, yes, go Busy Mumsies. And don't forget, you can find out more information about this week's guest, what we discussed, and everything else related to the world of Busy Mumsy by clicking the link in the show notes down below. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.